in my family, we are, we are well into the Christmas season, or the Advent season, really. But we have our tree up, like we just talked about, and we have special ornaments on the tree. Only a few so far have been broken, as my five-year-old daughter has uh, enjoyed looking at them and then wanting to take them off and look at them and put them somewhere else. So only a few have dropped so far. We're doing pretty good. Um, my daughter, though, she's five years old, she loves this season. She loves the lights and the decorations, the idea of hot chocolate and cold weather and Christmas candy. I mean, and who doesn't love all that stuff, right? We, we like that stuff. There's something, there's something really good about it. But what she really likes about this season this year, my five-year-old daughter is becoming very fond of the idea that at Christmas, she is going to get presents. And, you know, she's been excited about getting presents in other years. But this year, it's like a whole new level. And it kind of was out of left field for me uh, because she's known about this. So this year, though, she is like, and I want to get one of those. And it's like everywhere we go, she points to what she wants. Um, or if we, if we see something that a friend has that she doesn't have, you know, I want that. And, oh, I really want one of those. Or even the other day, she dreamed up something that she doesn't even know if it exists or not, but she wants it. So she sat down with my wife uh, and she said, Mommy, I want to uh, make a list of all the gifts that I want because I want to make sure that people know the right gifts to get me. So my wife said, okay. So they sat down and they made a list. Uh, and, and after a number of things got onto this list, and my daughter was out of ideas, she had thought of everything she thought she might want. Uh, she said, all right, Mommy, I think I'm done. And my wife, she's a genius. She said, I'm glad we got that first list out of the way. Now we get to make a second list. My daughter said, what? Another list? But I already told you everything I want. And my wife said, yeah, and this next list, we're going we're gonna to write a list of everything that you're hoping you get to give to others. And my daughter was not as excited about that list. I, I, don't, know, I don't know why she, didn't, she was not as excited to go through each family member and think what would make that person really feel special. But they did that exercise. And, you know, for us as a family, we love the, the things about Christmas that everyone in the world around us loves, the cold weather, the hot chocolate, the lights in the trees, uh, the gifts. We love that stuff. It's exciting. We have Christmas music playing in our house most of the time this time of year. But there's something special about the fact that the king of all the earth came to us down out of the heavens to be a human like us. And what's so amazing about the Christmas story is that it really kind of teaches itself. There's so much in the story of this God that came down to us that shows us that it's not about what we get. It's about uh, maybe, maybe what we can give. It's really maybe about what we get in Jesus. We're going through this series during Advent as a church. It's called Down to Earth, and it's really about how God has come down from the heavens to earth in Jesus. We're preparing ourselves to celebrate Christ at Christmas by contemplating what does it mean that he came down to earth. And what we find is that God is a very down-to-earth God. And one of the ways that we prepare ourselves to follow him and to celebrate him at Christmas is when we get to see who he is in his coming to us and then we get to imitate him and prepare our hearts to become like him. We're trying to do that as a family but as a church family that's something we're also trying to do. So would you pray with me as we begin to contemplate something new today 
about Christ and consider how he might invite us to give ourselves to him in a new way. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are thankful for uh, the excitement of the season that is all around us, that in many ways has so many joyful experiences attached to it. Uh, We're excited for even cold weather days and seeing friends and warm sweaters, and, and that's all good, God. We're thankful for that. But God, most of all, we're excited that we get to celebrate the way that you have saved us, that you didn't sit in heaven and wait for us, but you came to us. You lowered yourself. You came down to our level. God, as we contemplate what that means, that we have a God that came down to us, I pray, God, that you would form our hearts and that you would prepare us to be a people that follow Jesus in the radical ways that he came to us and that he lived. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you, Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Sherry last week preached on um, the down-to-earth love of God. And this week, the topic is the down-to-earth humility. We're going to pick up in some of the same verses in Philippians that Sherry preached on last week. Uh, We're just going to start right where she left off in verse 5. And Paul's writing to the Philippians. He writes this. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so the, these verses, um, they're special in a few ways. They, they, they speak about the incarnation, the way that Jesus became one of us, became a human, uh, it, but a, a kind of a neat thing about it is these are not all Paul's original words, but verses 6 through 8, really everything after that first sentence there, that first line, is part of an old Christ hymn that the church in Philippi knew about and used in their worship time. It was one of the hymns that they would sing, uh, just like we sing hymns, to worship God and to remind ourselves of who God is and what he has done for us. And in using this, Paul is bringing their attention to some words they were already familiar with, that they uh, may have sung right before they even uh, read his letter aloud in their gathering. And he's trying to make a point. And so I want to go through this and try to understand what is it that Paul's drawing, trying to draw their attention to. You know, Paul's words before the hymn, he starts off by saying, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Now the word mind there that he's talking about... Um, It's really a mindset or an attitude that leads to a way of living. So he doesn't just want us to have dreams in Aramaic like Jesus did, or to have the same kind of brain power as Jesus did, but it's our mindset and our attitude. Paul's calling the church in Philippi to have the same mindset or attitude that Jesus did. And this isn't the first time Paul talks about uh, having a mindset change as being a Christian. When he writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, he writes about this too. He says, you were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to have a new mindset, to clothe yourselves with the new self created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
You know, we can see here that when he talks about us having a new mindset, he's talking about letting go of an old way of thinking and living. An old way of life that's not part of what it looks like for us to continue moving towards Christ and to take on this new mindset. It's a mindset, the same mindset actually that Jesus had. There's another verse that Paul uses the same word in. It's from Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the, by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When he uses it in this context, he really is saying that having the mindset of Christ means not having the same mindset as the world around us. And instead of having the mindset of the world around us just naturally come into our heads and come into our way of living, we're called to let God transform us. And when we have our minds transformed, then we'll know how to really live into God's will. And so this is what he's focused on. Calling the Philippians, and as we're reading it, he's calling us to let our mindset become more like the mindset of Christ you know, something that we don't see in this translation, but it's very much implied in this scripture, in this particular verse, is that when our mindsets change, it has an effect on our relationships with other people. And so the church in Philippi, you know, earlier when Paul's writing to them, in, in chapter 1, verse 15, he says something about there being people that are envious, people that are functioning out of a sense of rivalry. And then later on in chapter 4, he actually calls out two of the leaders of the church by name. How embarrassing. He called out in the Bible by name. Uh, and he says, stop arguing with each other, but have the same mind as the Lord Jesus. And I think what he is telling them is, you need to have the same mindset because that's going to change how you relate to one another. It's going to change how you treat one another. The New International Version even translates this verse as... As follows, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so I want to make sure we come back to that and talk about, you know, not, not just what does it look like to have a new mindset, but how does that affect our relationships? I think that the neat thing about uh, the, the journey of growing in the likeness of God is that as we grow spiritually, that always has an effect on how we're able to treat other people with a greater amount of love. And so we're going to come back to that. But after Paul says to have the same mindset as Jesus, now we have to ask, what is that mindset? And so he goes into this Christ hymn that they knew. He's talking about Jesus, and he's quoting this hymn, and it says, Who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. Now this is really interesting. That word form... Uh, it can mean shape, but it also can mean like essence or nature. And so what we should read that as Jesus was in the nature of God. Jesus was fully God. You know, Jesus didn't just begin existing when he was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. He's existed since the beginning of time, and he was there at creation. And because Jesus has the same, he has an equality with God. He is a part of the Godhead. You would think that Jesus has every right to claim all the benefits all the privileges of being God. But this next part of the verse, it says that he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. What that means is Jesus had a mindset where he didn't feel like he needed to assume all the privileges that came with him being God. What I'm going to call this is a humble mindset. 
Jesus had a humble mindset because even though he had every right to say, I'm God, I can do whatever I want, he thought of himself differently. He didn't feel the need to prop himself up to make himself look really, really good. Instead, he was able to be humble. That's part of what allowed him to come to us uh, in the incarnation. You know, humility is an interesting thing to talk about. Um, Almost everyone I know agrees, everyone I know, I think, agrees that humility is good and pride is not not as good. We don't want to be prideful. And I'm not talking about like a pride of country or a pride of family or of your college or sports team or whatever. I'm talking about pride as in lifting yourself up. And it's interesting that, you know, the opposite of humility oftentimes is seen as pride, but I think there might be something even more specific that Paul's talking about here. And you can see it in the couple verses Sherry touched on these last week. There are these couple verses that happen right at the beginning of this passage. Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. I think what Paul's trying to get across in his teaching to the Philippians, but also as he's portraying Jesus as the example, he's saying that Jesus uh, wasn't just the um, opposite of pride. Jesus was the opposite of thinking of yourself first. So being humble, the way we're called to have a humble mindset with Christ, means we're able to regard others as better than ourselves. We're able to look at the interests of others and not just have a me-first mentality. And, and now I'm not talking about, and I don't think Paul's talking about having a low self-esteem or not having self-care. You know, if you look at Jesus's life, how many times do we find him taking time away from ministry to pray and nurture his relationship with his Father in heaven? You know, so Jesus, obviously, he had a sense of good self-care. And, and then you might ask, well, is he, uh, does, did Jesus just have low self-esteem for a little bit? <laughs> well, no, I don't think he did. And where's the verse I'm looking for? There it is. Because he knew, that first part though, he was in the form of God. Jesus knew that he was God. And all throughout his ministry, he was very clear about his identity. He just knew that he didn't need to prove that to anybody. He didn't need to assume all the benefits of that and all the privileges of that. But he was okay letting go, I think because he was secure in who he was. You know, I think for us to have a humble mindset... I think it requires that we have to be secure in who we are. Secure enough in who we are in Christ that we don't have to prove our status or our worth to anyone by trying to lift ourselves up. We don't have to prove ourselves by putting ourselves first, but we're so secure in who we are and that God loves us and he cares for us that we're able to then say, you know what, because I know God's taking care of me, now I'm freed up and I can go and I can look towards the needs of people around me and care about them. This is a humble mindset. You know, when I was in college, I was in a uh, Wesley Foundation at the University of Texas, and I did a number of mission trips. Uh, you know, some of them were hurricane relief trips that we would do um, if a bad hurricane would come into the coast, um, depending on the year. Uh, one or two of them was a trip to El Salvador to the Shalom Home, the same place that we're in partnership with as a church here today. And the director of the Wesley Foundation, Rusty Teeter, Um, he would always sit us down in one of our training meetings about two weeks before a trip. And he would tell us, hey guys, I just want you to know, I called ahead to the project organizer who gives us our jobs while we're there and tells us what houses to work on or what projects to do. I told him that we were willing to do anything. 
And I even said, if you have a project that's so bad that no one else wants it and no team's willing to do it, give us that project. And so we would look at him and say, really, Rusty? You volunteered for the worst, stinkiest, smelliest project? And say, yeah, because I want y'all to remember, we're going there to serve. And whatever they give us, we're just going to be happy that we get to serve. Now, I, I, I realized this after the fact. I think he was preparing us to have a humble mindset. Because after that point, you couldn't go on the trip because you were going to uh, know that you were doing some really, really fun, exciting job. Because it might not be. You couldn't go on the trip and know that you were going to get to see someone's face who you helped and feel like it was all worth it. You were going on the trip because God called you to serve humbly. And it really, it always put me in a mindset going on, the, on a mission trip that, man, all right, God, whatever it is you are calling me to do, nothing is beneath me because you've called me here. And I think it's that humble mindset that Jesus shows that led to his humble action. And we see that in the next verse. His humble action, the primary humble action is that he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being born in human likeness. So this is the incarnation. This is the humble action of the God of the universe being born as a human. And, you know, that is humbling enough, right? That he left his heavenly throne to be born as a human being in a broken world and to have human experiences that are not always fun. He didn't just become any human, though. He became a human of relatively low status, of very little power. He became a first century Jewish peasant day laborer. That's basically that. I mean, carpenter is kind of what we grow up thinking of Jesus as, but that word, it really means kind of a woodworker, stonemason, someone who was hired out by the day by Romans for improvement projects around the empire. He lived in a country that was occupied by a major world power where he had very little rights. Jesus uh, probably was never going to have an opportunity for upward mobility, was never going to enjoy many, if any, luxuries. Jesus did not just choose to become a human. He chose to become a human of very low stature. That's the reference right there, taking the form of a slave. or That word can also mean servant. You know, at, at the Lord's Supper, kind of that last night that Jesus spent with his disciples, he as the master chose to lower himself to the lowest servant role and wash their feet. He models humble actions for us. Washing the dirty feet of those who are following him. He is their master. And he shows us that true leadership, true power, happens when we're able to serve and lower ourselves. Not raise ourselves up or wield our authority over people. But I think it's that humble mindset that Paul's calling the Philippians to have. That, that we need to grow in. That, that, that prepared Jesus to have these humble actions. And you can see that just continues on in the Christ hymn. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Jesus doesn't just come down from heaven to earth. He doesn't just be born as someone of low status. But his whole life, I mean, it's really, it's a life of downward mobility. It's kind of the opposite of what we think of as the good life here. That's so interesting. It's so fascinating. You know, I wonder for us as we attempt to model our lives after Christ's life, I wonder if sometimes the narratives in our own culture make it so difficult for us. 
There's this story in, um, in 2 Chronicles about a king of Israel named Uzziah. He became a king when he was 16 years old. And the beginning of his being king was pretty good. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So Uzziah was doing pretty well because he humbled himself. He had a humble mindset, and it led to humble actions. But then, fast forward 30 years or so, his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped until he became strong. But where he had become strong, he grew proud to his destruction. He basically accumulated a lot of wealth and became very successful in that humble mindset started to slowly leak away until he became proud. You know, I think that might be a cautionary tale for us. We're a society that has a relatively large amount of wealth and success. The problem with wealth and success is that they can be addictive. You get a little bit of wealth, it makes you feel pretty good, pretty secure, so you want some more and more. And it turns out there's not a limit to the amount of wealth we could have where we will stop wanting it. And the same with success. You, have, you experience something where you moved on up. You gained some power or prominence or you were recognized. Man, that feels good. I think I want some more. But the path to gaining wealth and success is, is always a me-first path. It's the opposite of what Jesus models for us, of being so confident in yourself that you don't need to gain things for yourself. You want to help others. You want to love others. And you're freed up to even lower yourself sometimes for the sake of others being loved and helped for meeting their needs. I think that's an incredibly difficult path to follow. But I think that's the path Jesus outlines for us. You know, and when we approach this time of year, we're celebrating the birth of Christ. You know, Advent's one of those times, kind of like Lent. It's a preparation time in the church. It's really kind of meant for us to get right with God so we can prepare to celebrate all that he's done for us in coming to us as a baby. One of the ways we, we prepare ourselves for celebrating the incarnation, I think, is by modeling the humility of Christ, that down-to-earth humility that he shows us. You know, uh, Pope Francis is probably one of the best uh, globally known role models for this. He's a pope that, when he became pope, he, did not, he chose not to live in the palace that other popes before him had lived in. With all of the luxury and the fine things, he chose to live in one of the meager guest houses on, in the Vatican instead. Not that he couldn't have claimed that, hey, I'm the pope. This is where the popes live. I'm going to live in this nice place. He very well could have done that. He chose instead to let go of some of the privilege, some of the wealth, some of the status that came with his role. He chooses sometimes to eat with those who are very poor and low on the totem pole, so to speak. He doesn't just eat with foreign dignitaries and high religious leaders, but he models this kind of humility of Jesus. Someone else uh, that I was thinking about that just models a kind of humility for us. You know, as George H.W. Bush, in this past week, we've been hearing more and more stories of his life as we've celebrated that as a country. Um, 
And, and I'm not trying to get political here or anything. I just think it's notable that most of the Secret Service respect him with the utmost respect. You know, one of the reasons for that is that even as President of the United States, he would choose to take his Christmas vacations, uh, or really to stay home for a Christmas vacation, so that the Secret Service personnel could be with their families as much as possible. As president, he had every right to say, no, I am the world leader, that, that our country's leader, but a, a global leader. Y'all should bend around my schedule, and uh, that's the job you chose, tough. I mean, he could have said that. No one would have batted an eye. But instead, I think we see a voluntary humility. where He, he puts some limits on himself that, that sometimes people in power don't put. He did it so he could care about the needs of others before his own. You know, I think, um, I was trying to think of an ordinary example of the humility of Christ. And what I realized is that the ordinary story of someone who is humble, I couldn't tell it to you. Because it's a person that is not recognized. It's a person that lives that way regardless of whether someone saw it or not. It's a person that has a fairly ordinary life but they choose to give up some of their status and privilege for the sake of caring about others. They choose to put others first instead of living in this worldly way of, of saying me first. It's probably someone who uh, you know who's in your life, who you just love being around because they make you feel so important and valued as a person. You could probably think of a few people right now. That's probably the model of a humble person. But I said we were going to come back to relationships. And so I think there's really three primary relationships that, that we could apply this to our lives. This Advent season, I think we should consider which of these for us is God calling us to apply this humble mindset. I think first we can ask how will we live out the humble mindset of Christ to those that are closest to us. This might be one of those most overlooked groups. I'm thinking about the people that are in your own household your husband or your wife, your kids or maybe your parents, your brother or your sister, maybe some roommates. But those people that you're closest with, obviously you love them. I think sometimes we kind of get in that autopilot mode. We forget that we still have to be intentional about showing humility to them. You know, I wonder what would our families look like if we decided we we're going to approach the people in our household with a greater amount of humility to say, I'm going to, in making this decision about how I spend my time or about how I conduct myself at home, I'm going to try to ask, what does my family need of me? Instead of asking just, what do I want? And I, th I think the world would see families that are filled with the humility of Christ. And I think the world wants something like that. And then I think there's a way where we need to ask, how are we called to live out this humble mindset in our church community? You know, the church in Philippi... Paul was calling them to live this humble mindset out. And they were in a culture where the way you gained respect was by propping yourself up and gaining honor by showing off. Now, I'm not sure we are in the exact same culture, but sometimes we are in a culture where you gain kind of honor, respect by being right. You know, as a church, we are kind of like a big family, and every family has some dysfunction. Sometimes we don't all agree on the same thing, right? So there's areas that maybe showing humility to one another is to care more about what does that other person need? Care more about that than asking the question, was I right and did I get my point across? 
you know, another aspect of being a part of the body of Christ and having that humble mindset of Christ, I think it makes us ask, how do I care about the needs of the whole body of Christ and not just the needs of myself? Because church isn't just a place where we come to get our needs met. We're called to be a part of a whole body of people who are following Christ together. I think if we have a humble mindset about our relationship with the church, it might, it might cause us at times to see a need that the church has and to give of ourselves or our things in greater ways for a period of time. Because we would be looking at what do others need, not just what do I need. I think that's something to consider is how, how are we called to live this humble mindset out in our church community here at Bethany? And then I think there's this aspect, <coughs> excuse me, of asking how are we called to live the humble mindset of Christ out to those that are different than us? This is an area where the world does not know how to do this. And if we follow the way of the world, uh, we will end up demonizing anyone that disagrees with us. We'll end up caring far more about what group or political affiliation are you a part of. Do you vote the same as me? Because then we can be friends. And if not, then maybe I'll keep my distance. I mean, I think that's the way the world it thinks. That, not everybody, but the general current of the world that's what we're seeing. To, to have the humble mindset of Christ, maybe it means we care about someone not because of the group they're affiliated with, but regardless of their political affiliation or their ideology. Maybe it means that we care about someone and we give them respect and we give them our time and our energy and our friendship and our love, not because they have a, a high status in the world and they will make us look good if we associate with them, but because they're a child of God and they have needs and we're called to love them and serve them. I think if we could do this, this, this would be something that I think the world is hungry to see a better way. So this Advent season, as we're preparing to celebrate Christ coming to us, it's showing a great amount of humility. I want to invite you to consider how is God calling you to live out the humble mindset of Christ, to look towards the needs of others above your own, uh, I want to invite you to pray with me. Um, if you would bow your heads, and I'm just going to start off this time by asking a couple questions. Just for you to consider, maybe for you to talk with God about. So as you consider how Christ came to us with great humility, how is God inviting you to take on the humble mind of Christ in your own life? I'll invite you to consider what, what do you need to let go of in order to consider the needs of others before your own wants. Do you need to let go of the idea that if you don't prove your worth, uh, you won't have an identity that you can be comfortable with? Do you need to let go of the idea that, that maybe... Associating with people that are different than you is, is not okay. And then I'll ask you to consider who is God put in your life that he's calling you to have this humble mindset towards? Is there someone in your home, maybe, that you uh, could show the mindset of Christ towards more? Maybe someone in this church, or maybe just how you relate to the church, or maybe is there someone who just thinks so differently than you? They are so far from the same as you, that you're not sure you could even like them. Maybe you, God is calling you to be humble in your interactions with that person.
God, we invite you into our lives right now to show us and to teach us how can we have the humble mind of Christ as his followers who are preparing our hearts and our minds to celebrate the coming of Christ at Christmas. Show us and teach us, God. Let your Holy Spirit come and bring about a renewed, humble way of thinking and a humble way of living so that we can be a light to the world that's showing Christ to the world by the way we live. God, we love you and we thank you for being here. In Christ's name we pray, amen.